Well, hello and welcome to worship at Providence Church. My name is Jacob Armstrong. I'm so glad you've joined us. Wherever you may be, whatever you think about God, however you might be feeling right now, I'm going to invite you to a life-changing moment, and it's what we're going to call Breaking Open. But first, I want to read you an incredible story of how Jesus' active ministry begins, and it's found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Let me read you those verses. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, the devil said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. The story of Jesus' ministry starts with hunger, isolation, and temptation. Jesus is hungry and the devil tempts him with bread. I mean, what else would you want if you'd not eaten for 40 days? I would want to know Charlie's role or 12. I know uh, that bread is not cool right now, but You should know I've stayed biblical all this time. I've stayed with bread because bread is good. And the first thing that Jesus is faced with when he's dog tired and bone hungry is bread. The devil is there in Jesus' tired, hungry moment and says, you could make these rocks turn into a basket of rolls. And Jesus says, you tempt me with bread. Instead, I will go harder towards God. Well, immediately the scripture says, meaning that one didn't work. What the devil tried there didn't work. Immediately, they're now standing somehow on the corner of the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus can see the holy city all down before him, bustling with the people of God, the center of worship and the center of commerce for his people. Jerusalem is the place where things happen. It's where every great prophet would have made a great entry. It's where every uh, great religious one would have had a great religious moment. And the devil tempts Jesus right there. And he says, throw yourself off the temple. Let angels come scoop you up at the last second. It would have been spectacular. Jesus would have immediately been a celebrity pastor. And Jesus said, that's not the way it works with God. Jesus says, you tempt me with spectacular. Instead, I will humble myself and let God get the glory. The devil has one more trick, and he shows Jesus in some devil magic kind of way, all the kingdoms of the world, all at one time. And the devil says, I'll give you all of this, every throne, every palace, every gold coin, if you but worship me instead of your father. And at this point, Jesus just has to say, get away, get away from me, Satan. 
See, Jesus says, you tempt me with power. I will stay weak in this moment. I will stay hungry in this moment. I will stay broken in this moment so that God's power will rest on me and nobody else's. The, the story of Jesus' ministry, it starts there with hunger and isolation, temptation, you know, just, just desperation. And I've been thinking about it. You know how our story starts here on this great, beautiful planet Earth? Same way. Desperate, hungry. It starts, we start with a cry. Yeah, your first breath was a cry. You were naked as the day you were born, literally. <laughs> Helpless, held in the arms of your mother and you squalled. That was the first thing you did. And then sure, you know, over time, out of that same mouth, you have laughed, you've cheered, you've praised, encouraged, complimented. With that same mouth, you've questioned, criticized, ridiculed, cursed, you've whispered, you've raised your voice. Some of you have been trained to sing. Some have sought hard not to stutter. Some of us remember a moment when we found our voice. Some remember when our voice strangely changed. <laughs> Some of you have done that helium thing one too many times. All these sounds for all these different reasons. You utter many different utterances over the course of a day. And then there's also hundreds of hours in your life when you haven't made a peep, but your first breath was a cry. The first sound you made was the sound we all make to say help. Before we ever learn a word, in our native language, we all share the same native cry. The first sound out of your mouth was like the first one out of mind. It was a sound of desperation. Or was it fear? Or is it just a sound to say, this is quite a lot to take in in one moment? You know, we're born, we're greeted by our loved ones. Welcome to the world, baby. And we see our family, we weep. If you didn't cry, there was someone there hoping you would cry who then helped you to cry. Most humans, start in this world with a loud, startling squall. Why? The first cry of a newborn baby is a kickstart to the lungs. It gets the whole thing going and prepares you for a world where you better know how to breathe and you better know how to cry. But it's funny, that emphasis on breathing remains. <laughs> we do it without even noticing most of the time. While the importance of crying seems to lessen as we get older, well, this sermon and this teaching series, it isn't about learning to cry, but it is about being hungry, isolated, tempted even, and finding your life there, like there. Now that may not involve tears for you, I don't know, but it will involve a similar exercise to what happened when you breathed your first breath. It will be similar to what Jesus experienced in the wilderness. It will involve an openness to God and an openness to life that is equal parts terrifying and exhilarating. It will involve you learning to quiet your cry in the arms of another. In the same way your first cry did not feel voluntary, what I'm gonna be talking to you about, it may not seem like something you're gonna to get to choose either. But what I'm saying is there is a second birth that happens in our lives. It's often viewed negatively as a breaking point, like you've come to this breaking point in life. Sometimes uh, we think of it as a breaking down or just an old fashioned breakdown. And I know right now, a bunch of families are near breaking or they feel that way. A bunch of retired folks are near breakdown. A bunch of teenagers have had enough of this. A bunch of business owners are bone and tired. Are we gonna break down? 
we can all feel it coming. We can try to outrun it. And some of us will spend our whole adult lives trying to outrun this thing. But instead of outrunning our breakdown, I want to tell you about breaking open. Like our first birth moment, our second invitation to life is dramatic, beautiful, and scary. But the only way we're going to keep breathing is if we open our mouth to cry. And that's how it started for me, um, this breaking open. It started with crying again and started with a kid named Clayton. I met Clayton in my backyard in my hammock with my beagle puppy licking his face. That's where I met him. So for weeks, my dog, Simon the beagle, had been mysteriously escaping our back fence. I was getting calls from the neighbors. There were reports of trash cans turned over. It was a tense time in suburbia. I couldn't figure it out until I came home from work early one day, and that's where I met Clayton. He was in my hammock with the escape artist Beagle and both of them quite content with their new unauthorized friendship. Clayton was my 12-year-old neighbor. And he sometimes forgot to close. Uh, sometimes forgot to close the gate behind him. So Clayton becomes my companion in this season of my life. I was newly married, working as a pastor, but also going to school full time. And if I was working in my yard, Clayton was beside me. I remember going on walks with my wife Rachel at the end of a long day. We'd have, you know just held hands and begin to talk about our day when we would realize, by the sound of footsteps or a third shadow, Clayton had joined us. And so I would take a deep breath and get to hear about Clayton's day instead of Rachel's. A movie on the couch, there would be Clayton's hand in the shared popcorn bowl, a Saturday lunch, and Clayton needed a PBJ too. You get the picture. It was not really how I pictured my first year of marriage, but we loved Clayton and he loved us. We loved him and he was an interruption. And then one Saturday night, it was in February, I'd fallen asleep on the couch and I was woke up by a knock on the door and it was Clayton. He was bundled up in this big winter jacket and I invited him in, but he wouldn't move off our welcome mat. And I could tell something was wrong. He wasn't as talkative as usual. He wasn't open. He just stood by the door shivering. And I'm wiping sleep from my eyes and my brain, trying to make sure, trying to make sense of this middle of the night encounter. And we talked for a bit. I could tell something was wrong. I think I already said that. I encouraged him to go home. Actually, I remember I told him, go home, wake up your dad and tell him what was going on. But I didn't walk him home. And I didn't call his dad. I went back to sleep. And Clayton left my front porch, walked out into a cold night alone, and sometime that night took his own life. And when I heard the news of Clayton's suicide the next day, a darkness covered me. It felt like panic at first, but then it just sort of settled into my, my bones as this deep, deep sadness. It's like I had a new companion and it was this regret, this loss. I was 22 years old studying to be a pastor, I just made the decision to give my life to helping people and somehow with Clayton, I missed it. And shame and regret replaced all these hopes and dreams I had. And I told God, if I was ever gonna be used by you for something good, I know I've squandered that now. And then I ran away. As best as an adult can run away, I called my brother who lived in the desert of Southern Arizona and I said, hey, can I come? He said, yeah, you can come, I have to work. But he welcomed my short notice visit. He said, you can come if you don't mind being alone. And that was exactly what I wanted. And I got on a plane, leaving my wife who was grieving the same loss as me to try and figure out how to make it through my first breakdown. And so I spent these days visiting my brother Andy walking in the trails in the desert behind his house. He lived at the foot of the Superstition Mountains and it was dry and barren, and that felt just right to me. And one day I noticed this particularly striking mountain that looked like a big shelf sticking out of the range, and I asked my brother about it. He said, its name is the Flat Iron. 
And I asked him if there was a trail to the top and he said there was. So the next day I left, a miserable man on a miserable hike. I remember the only pair of shoes that I had brought were a pair of Teva sandals. They were not the perfect hiking shoes for the loose rocks and inclines of this barely visible desert trail. And I watched my feet cover in dust and sand and sharp rocks cut my toes and cactus spines my ankles. And my aching feet became a step-by-step -step metaphor for my irritated mind and heart. You see, the grief that I'd had in Tennessee felt like anger in Arizona. I wanted to yell at that mountain, shake my fist at the sky. The superstition mountains there, they're the result of prehistoric volcanic activity. And I felt a volcano bubbling up in my body. I did not know how to deal with my sorrow. I did not know how to deal with my pain. I did not know how to deal with my regret. And so each step of this hike brought me closer to the breakdown I was destined for. By the middle of the afternoon, I made it to the top. I was completely exhausted. I brought no lunch. I sat down and that's where I said my rehearse line. I already told you, I said, God, if I was ever gonna be used for something good, I know I've squandered that now. And it was there on the top of the flat iron, the furthest place that I could think to go away from my house of grief that the Lord Jesus met me. I didn't hear a voice. I didn't see a vision, but I felt his presence. And I spoke to him again in a cry. I cried. I cried like a boy who hadn't cried in a long time. The sound was so unfamiliar to me at first. I didn't even know I was crying. It just felt like the only way I could breathe in that moment, the only way I could live was if I cried out to Jesus. And that volcano of anger erupted into tears of longing for help from God. God who followed me on a Southwest flight to Phoenix. I called my brother up there on the top. I said, hey, Andy, I made it to the top of the flat iron. And I told him I was hurting. I'm sure he could tell I was crying. He said we would talk and he, he said, hey, you realize you have to walk down, right? And I said, yeah, and I began the walk back to his house. The next day, Andy conveniently had off work and he took me with this two-person kayak he had to a lake that cut these narrow shafts through high rock ravines. And we talked and we paddled and I told him how bad it felt, like how bad I felt. And we fished. I felt like my short breaths of grief were lengthening. I felt like I could start to see a bit clearer again. And then the storm came unexpectedly. It began to rain and then rain hard. Andy urged me to paddle faster as we tried to reach the shore. And we began to laugh and just get soaked by our rare desert rain. And I sat in the front of the kayak, my back to my brother, and my laughter turned to tears again. My brother couldn't see. I don't think that my walled off heart had just cracked. It was a good thing. I was breaking but I was breaking open. I was hurting, but I wasn't alone. I had run away, but I was gonna return. I had squandered, but God was gathering up all the broken pieces. He had noticed me and sought me out in my newfound suffering. Jesus, who we know is God, who came to earth in flesh, became real to me in pain. He wasn't gonna just be the savior of my youth. He would not remain only an inspiring feeling that I would have at a worship service. Jesus, whose hands and ankles were dust covered and bloodied, was with me in my desert. Jesus, who started out in the wilderness, was with me in my wilderness. I thought that I was gonna be destined to live a life of darkness, but instead he was showing me a different way. It was an open way and I would take it. Now these newfound tears were not the sign of my breakdown. Something else was happening. They were kick-starting my heart back to life again. The cry of our second births are like the cry of our first. They open us up 
to a whole new life with people that love us and people that will fail us, same people. The tears open us up to life, they open us up to God. You know, breakdowns leave us exhausted. Life does, we isolate, we give up on hopes and dreams, we lash out, sometimes we run away, but there is a different option, friends. There is another way and it's found in Jesus. It still involves breaking, but the breaking has a different purpose, a different end game. This breaking leads to an openness that amazingly brings more life. It actually brings real life. This breaking fills us up, leads us closer to God, and moves us forward. And it's what we're calling breaking open. I'd love to tell you more about it over the next six weeks as we get ready for Jesus' journey to the cross and to Easter Sunday morning. We're gonna be walking with Jesus as he makes that walk to the cross, his crucifixion, which was not a breakdown or a failure. Jesus is conquering death in the way that we can be restored. If Jesus stays strong and encounters no suffering, if Jesus never faces sin or temptation in the wilderness, if he never carries our burden, we never find life. Let's be honest. Some of us have had full-on breakdowns since last February. I wanna offer you a different way. Let's look at the way Jesus walks through life with vulnerability and strength and follow his way instead of this unattainable path of seeking perfection and safety. Jesus' way is better. Say it with me. Jesus' way is better. Jesus' way is better. Jesus' way is a broken way, but he breaks open. If we look at his story, he breaks open to be in relationship with people, real relationship with real people. He breaks open and cries when his friends die. He breaks open, but still breaks bread with those who will betray him. He breaks open on the cross and he saves us. And oh yeah, it's all leading towards a tomb that's broken open and he walks out. Remember what Jesus says. He says, evil one, you tempt me with bread. Instead, I'll go harder towards God. Jesus says, you tempt me with spectacular. Instead, I will humble myself and let God get the glory. Jesus says, you tempt me with power. I'll stay weak in the moment, hungry broken so that God's power will rest on me. This moment that we are in is an urgent one, I'm convinced. Maybe for you personally, you know it. You know this is either gonna be a turning point moment for you or a breakdown. You're either going down or you're gonna rise up strong and alive. For a moment, I just wanna speak to every young person who might be able to hear my voice, like every teenager. None of us have had a year like you've had at age 15 or 17. But some of us do know how life can feel so lonely, so dark when life surprises you. So that's not unique to you. Those of us who are older, we've been there. And I just wanna say something to you. You have to believe me that Jesus has something so beautiful for your life. Don't give up, okay? Don't harm yourself. Don't. We are here for you. I need you to hear that because it's a dark time for teenagers. And if today you were thinking of ending it, but you are still listening to hear from God, hear from him now. There is something better coming. We are here for you. God is here for you. In fact, like if you need to talk to someone today, I wanna to give you a number. It's our pastor on-call number. We always have a pastor who's ready to talk. If you call the number that's on your screen, our pastor will call you back, okay? Our pastor will call you back. There's also a hotline on there if you just need immediate help to be there as well. Any age, this is for anybody, any age, if you're a parent of a teenager, you're not alone. 
I want you to know in the next few weeks, we're going to be offering some courses uh, for teens and adults to better get a handle on depression and feelings of suicide. Something we're hearing from our young people and we're gonna be uh, coming to meet you in that place and try and get you the help you need. For all of us, there is Jesus' better way. And I believe, guys, that this is the time for us, the church, to either embrace you know, a counterfeit Christianity that looks like all those temptations, like full bellies, spectacular shows of our greatness, powerful people, or we can go the way of Jesus and empty ourselves to make sure others have bread and just be dependent on God. Uh, to follow the example of Jesus and humble ourselves so we can see our spectacular God. To admit weakness so we can know Christ's real power. We break open, not down. And so I invite you to join us on what will be a journey for us, this breaking open journey. And we'll do just that. Break open. Be born again. The hope for your life is found in the cross of Christ. Yes, Easter's the deal, the broken open tomb, get ready for it, the breaking open of Jesus' tomb, but we won't skip the cross. Don't skip the cross. The cross leads to a grave, but that grave leads to a garden, and it's there that we are born again.